There's a, a British painter who was known as Lucian Freud. He passed away in uh, 2011, but his artwork was worth a fortune. So just to give you some idea, I think last November, one of his pieces sold for around $86 million. He was a really uh, great painter. He passed away in 2011. But back in the year 2000, Sotheby's, the famous auction house in London, had to embarrassingly admit that they destroyed one of Freud's paintings. It was reported at the time that the painting was mistakenly consigned to a crusher by some workers there. They thought that the crate that it was in was merely just filled with packing foam or something, but the painting believed that, that one would believe to be worth around half a million dollars was destroyed and probably ended up in, in an incinerator. That's a pretty costly mistake. $500,000 worth. And you might think, well, how could workers be so careless? How could they not recognize what they had in their possession? Or how could they not realize the value of what they had? How could they not check before they simply tossed aside a crate? Well, sadly, I want to say that I think we do things like that all the time. Sadly, all the time, people dismiss and they undervalue and they throw away treasures, especially the treasure that is the gospel, the good news of Jesus. All the time, people fail to appreciate the value of the good news of Jesus, and they don't even realize what it is that they're tossing aside or neglecting or dismissing. My prayer this morning is that we won't do that, that you won't do that. See, I wonder, do you truly appreciate the treasure that is the gospel, the good news of Jesus? Do you realize how valuable that is? Today we're going to begin a new series in this Paul's letter to the church in Colossae. Colossians is a letter all about the gospel. It's a letter all about the Lord Jesus. Colossians encourages us to build our life on the Lordship of Jesus, to never move away from him, to never move off of him. And over the next six weeks, we're going to look at this letter to the church in Colossae, and we're going to delve deeply into its treasures. But just a bit of background to this letter. So this letter to the church in Colossae, it's written by the Apostle Paul. Paul was in prison at the time that he wrote this. He was writing to Christians in Colossae, the ancient city, which is in modern-day Turkey. But Paul had actually never been to this city in Colossae. Paul, unlike some of his other letters, Paul didn't plant the church there. They learnt the good news of Jesus from Epaphras. You see that in verse 7 of chapter 1. But Paul, he writes to them and he begins by telling them who it is that's writing to them. So you have a look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. Literally, that is, means Paul a sent one of King Jesus, 
That's what the word apostle means. It means a sent one, someone who is a messenger, someone who's sent to deliver a message. And Paul is saying he's been sent by King Jesus to deliver a message. He wants them to know where this message comes from. They aren't merely human words. They aren't simply Paul's words. Paul writes with the authority given to him by Christ Jesus, that is King Jesus. And that's significant that Paul writes. He's writing from King Jesus. That's who's writing, but he's writing to the saints, verse 2, and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Who are the saints? Well, a saint or a holy one is just someone who is set apart. They're set apart by God for God. And if you're a Christian, that's you. You're a saint. You don't have to have a, some magical halo to be a saint, but you do need to trust in the Lord Jesus to be a saint. That's how you become a saint. But I wonder if that is your mindset. Do you see yourself as someone who is set apart by God for him? Well, that's who Paul is writing this letter to, to the saints in Colossae. And his attitude as he writes to them is actually, he's one of great thankfulness. Look at verse 3, he says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Paul, he's heard about the church there, about the faithful brothers, and he's thankful. And we see what he's thankful there for. He says he's thankful for their faith, their love, their hope. That's that great Paul lean triad, faith, love, hope. So have a look, he says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. See, these Christians, they have hope. They have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is, they've put their trust in Jesus. They've put their trust in him to save them from their sins, through his death on the cross. He gives thanks for their love. They love the fellow saints. This news that they've heard has actually transformed their lives such that they are now people who love. What if you ever take love for one another for granted? We shouldn't do that. We ought not do that. If there's actually genuine love for one another, that's a sign that actually God has been at work. That's a supernatural thing. That's something that's worth giving thanks to God for. That's what Paul does here. He, he sees that and he, he says, actually, we should thank God that that's the reality. We see also that their hope is in their future inheritance. I wonder where... Your hope is. What are you putting your hopes in? Are you putting your hopes in your house, in your car, in your job, in your kids, in your spouse? Maybe your hope's in the Lord Jesus. If your hope is in the Lord Jesus, that's something to be thankful to God for. So I wonder, do you, do you ever just take time to thank God? simply for the fact that you believe in the Lord Jesus. 
It's easy to take credit for that ourselves, but it's actually a supernatural thing. So I wonder, do you actually recognize and appreciate the value of your faith? Or do you think maybe it's not that big a deal? Or maybe you value other things more than that. So I wonder, does being able to gather with God's people, does that really excite you? Is that something that you wouldn't miss for all the world? Well, Paul, he overflows with gratitude because this seemingly unimpressive, ragtag bunch of people who'd never even met, or he'd never met, they put their trust in the Lord Jesus. They loved people who previously they had no business and nothing in common with. They were now living lives shaped by the hope that was secured in heaven rather than living for other things. And Paul sees that and he gives thanks for them. And he says here, verse 5, Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it's bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. He's made known to us your love in the Spirit. See, Paul says that these things that he can see in them, they've come through the gospel. They've come through the word of truth. Now, gospel, it's not a religious word. It, it, it's more like a media word. It just means good news, momentous news. That's the gospel. But what is that news? What's this gospel that they've heard and has, has done all this? Paul says this gospel, it's news that they heard, that they understood, that they learned from Epaphras. He describes it in verse 6 as the grace of God. Or in verse 12, he says that God has qualified them to share in the inheritance of the saints. He says, verse 13, that the Father has delivered us from the domain of darkness and he's transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. See, this gospel, this good news, it's all about God's Son. It's all about the Lord Jesus It's all about God's grace, how Jesus came, how he lived the perfect life, how he died on the cross in our place to pay for all of our wrongdoing, all our sin. This news, this gospel news, it's about Jesus' works, not our works. It's about how he has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints. Our place in heaven is our right relationship with God is actually secured through the Lord Jesus. This is what Paul describes there in verse 14 as redemption, as forgiveness of sins. I don't know if you know what the word redemption is all about. Back in the ancient world, there was no such thing as bankruptcy. If you went into debt to someone that you couldn't pay off, 
you'd have to become their slave. You'd be a slave. And the only way that you could get out of slavery is if someone paid off your debt for you. That paying off of a debt so that you could be set free, that's what's called redemption. When a slave is set free, that's being redeemed. But so we are redeemed by the Lord Jesus. We all are in slavery to our sin, our brokenness, our fallen nature, by which we do harmful and hurtful and evil things. We're in slavery to that. But Jesus came and he died on the cross in our place and his payment for our sins, he's paid our debt so that we can go free, that we can be forgiven. That work of Jesus has transferred us from the domain of darkness into God's kingdom. Just like money that's transferred from one bank account into another or like a sports player who's transferred from one team to another team. When we accept Jesus, it's like we're transferred out of the domain of darkness onto God's team. This happens as we hear and we understand and we learn this good news about Jesus. The Colossians had heard this from Epaphras, but I wonder who's the Epaphras in your life? Who's the person that you heard this good news from? Great to give thanks to God for people who shared the good news with us. Maybe later, take some time to thank someone who told you this news, or if this is the first time you've heard this news about Jesus, why not take a moment to thank God if he's heard it this morning and you've understood it? That's the gospel message. But Paul says, he talks about how that gospel message bore fruit in their lives. We read earlier in Isaiah chapter 55, it says, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it spring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower, bread to the eater, so shall be my word, God says, that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return empty. It shall accomplish the purpose for which I sent it. I want to, do you believe that? Do you believe in the power of God's word? Do you believe that this gospel message, this good news about Jesus, is actually more powerful than anything else in the universe? That actually, as we share this message about Jesus, that God actually achieves his purposes through it. Paul says that this gospel word is bearing fruit in all the world. Do you believe that? It's easy to look here in Australia or in Victoria and think there's not much bearing of fruit happening. feels like maybe people are rejecting this gospel message. Did you know about 50 years ago there was maybe a million Christians in China? And now they estimate there could be up to 150 million Christians in China. Or even just 30 years ago, there were no Christians in a place like Mongolia. And today there's, there's I think, over 100,000. It might be easy to think that God is not working or to feel discouraged, or, but the gospel is still working. The gospel is still doing its work. 
the message that we preach, the gospel message, it hasn't lost its power. The message that gave birth to the church in the early days in this church in Colossae, that's the same message that we have, and it has the same power, the very power of God. There's a quote. I can't find out accurately who first said it. Some people think it was Charles Spurgeon. Other people think it was Augustine. But it it goes like this. You don't need to defend a lion. Just let it loose and it'll defend itself. It says, so is God's word like that. That's the gospel message that we proclaim. We just let it loose and it will do its work itself. That's what God says in Isaiah. He, it will achieve the purposes for which he sent it. We see that Paul is really thankful for the way that this gospel message has produced fruit in the Colossians, and it actually drove Paul to pray. Verse 9, he says, So from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you be sealed with the knowledge of his will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might for all endurance and with patience, with joy, giving thanks to the Father. See, we, see Paul's not only thankful for the church here, but he's prayerful. We see not just what Paul prayed, but why he prayed it. Now, it seems like there's a lot in this prayer. But I think Paul is really praying for one thing, and the other things are connected to that. He asks there that you may be sealed with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. What's that mean? What's it mean to be filled with the knowledge of God's will? Does that mean we can know everything that God knows? Does that mean that we can expect God to provide us with specific guidance about our own personal future? Does it mean God's going to reveal to us what job we should take or what house we should buy or what course we should study or who we should marry or even where we should go to church? Is that what it means? Well, God may reveal some of those things to us, but primarily to be filled with the knowledge of God's will is to understand what is pleasing to God. It's to know what God delights in. And what is that? Well, it's Jesus. If we want to be filled with the knowledge of God's will, we're going to look to Jesus. And as we see Jesus more clearly, the gospel gets bigger and bigger in our hearts, right? As we see Jesus more clearly, we see our sin more clearly. And as we see our sin more clearly, his death becomes more wonderful for us, more valuable to us. His resurrection becomes more remarkable to us and astonishing. And as we see these things, it actually produces more fruit in our lives. As we learn what he is like, we learn to love as he loves. 
So we're filled with the knowledge of God's will. And as we do that, verse 10, that we will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work. You see, Paul not only gives thanks for the fruit of the gospel in their lives, he actually prays that they produce more. He prays that they would produce more fruit. And until Jesus returns or he calls us home, we will will never have made it. There's always more growth that we can grow and more fruit to be born. I wonder, is is that valuable to you? Does that get you excited? Is actually knowing the Lord Jesus, seeing what he's done for you, wanting to be like him, does that actually get you excited? Do you see that as valuable? Do you see the value in the beauty in the power that is the gospel? That is the good news of Jesus. I want to tell you that that gospel that perhaps you trust in, don't ever take that for granted. And if you see the work of the gospel in others, don't undervalue that. Praise God for that. Give thanks to him for that. Pray for more of that. And as we take this gospel, this good news, this message to others, God will use that to keep producing gospel fruit. So how about we pray that he would do that? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the good news of the gospel. Help us not to take that news for granted. Help us to be thankful for even the work that you've done in us to help us to see the glory of Jesus. That we would value that for the true treasure that is. That we would long for that for others. Help us not to be discouraged but that we would have confidence in the power of your word, that as we share it, you would bear much fruit. And we pray all this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.